Thank you, team. Please be seated. Don't you love New Year's? Tell me if this makes sense. It's sort of like the day after the pouring rain. Like the rain finishes up and you go outside and... Except in the summer when the street is steaming. But other than that, it's kind of like a new start. And it's a time to start looking forward and stop looking back. You get to get excited about what lies ahead. And so as we enter 2022 and we're here at church, we probably should consider the changes that we should make during the coming new year when it comes to solidifying our relationship with God. How's that sound? Good? Yeah, that's why you come to church, right? But before we do that, I want to get into a quick detour. And and I'm trying to decide why I think this way, and it may be that I was just trained to think this way, but you ever wonder why we celebrate New Year's on January 1st? Ever crossed your mind? You ever go, hmm, that seems weird? Or do you just go, oh, yeah, January 1st, it's just the way it is. But if you're wondering, I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Did you know that for a very long time, New Year's wasn't celebrated on January 1st? Here's the history. The earliest recording of a New Year's celebration is believed to have been in ancient Mesopotamia. Where's that? Modern day Iran. Okay. About 2000 BC. 2000 BC. So four over 4,000 years ago. Back then, the New Year was celebrated in mid-March. Mid-March. Yeah, right around the time of the vernal equinox. Actually, that wasn't the only date. There were other dates that were tied to the seasons used by ancient cultures. The Egyptians, the Phoenicians, the Persians all began their new year with the fall equinox. And the Greeks celebrated the new year on the winter solstice. Now, the early Romans, their calendar designated March 1st as the beginning of the year. Did you know that? Their calendar had only 10 months, beginning with March. And that the new year began in March, we can still actually see evidence of in our calendar today. Did you know that? In the months of September through December, our ninth month through our 12th month, we can see that they were originally positioned as months 7, 8, 9, and 10. Did you know that? Think about it. Here, this is pretty cool, which you probably didn't realize. September is Latin for seven. Octo, can you guess? Latin for eight. Novem, Latin for nine. And decem, ten, right? Like decimals, right? Isn't that crazy? We didn't, we don't really think about things like that. The first time the new year was celebrated on January 1st was in ancient Rome in 153 BC. And it's interesting, the, the month of January didn't even come into existence until 700 BC when the second king of Rome, anybody know the second king of Rome? No, I didn't either. Numa Pontilius added to the calendar the months of January and February, which messed up the whole thing about naming of the months and all that. Now, the new year was moved from March to January because that was the beginning of the Roman civil year. And it was the month that two new Roman consuls, the highest officials in the Roman Republic, began their one-year tenure. Did you know that? But this New Year date wasn't even widely observed, and New Year's is still celebrated on March 1st. Then, in 46 BC, Julius Caesar introduced a new calendar, a sun-based calendar, which was a great improvement on the wildly inaccurate moon-based or lunar 
calendar. Now, the new calendar was called the Julian calendar, and it decreed that the new year would begin with January 1st, and that within the Roman world, January 1st became the consistently observed date for New Year's. However, in medieval Europe, the celebrations accompanying the new year were considered pagan and therefore unchristian. And in 567 AD, the Council of Tours abolished January 1 as the beginning of the new year. Did you have any idea there was this much debate over when to celebrate New Year's? At various times and in various places throughout Christian medieval Europe, the new year was celebrated on December 25th with the birth of Jesus, on March 1st, on March 25th with the Feast of the Annunciation, and on Easter. And it wasn't until 1582 AD that Pope Gregory XIII restored January 1st as New Year's Day. By the way, that's why we call our calendar today the Gregorian calendar, right after Pope Gregory XIII. Now, Even though most Catholic countries adopted that Gregorian calendar almost immediately, it was only gradually adopted among the Protestant countries. The English, for example, the United Kingdom, didn't adopt the reform until 1752. Until then, the British Empire and the American colonies celebrated the new year in March. 1752, so it's actually kind of a new holiday. Of course, for us... January 1st is New Year's Day. So, with that little trivia out of the way, let's now take a look at what changes we'll need to make to draw closer to God in this new year, the year of 2022. So, to begin with, before we can make any changes at all, we need to conquer our innate fear of change. Take a look at this. In order to make a meaningful change... We need to start by being honest with ourselves about the things that need to change. And then we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to change them, especially when it comes to changing things in our faith walk that need changing. That doesn't, that makes sense, doesn't it? The foundation of the Christian faith rests upon change. Jesus came to change the way things were, to change the status quo of his day and to change the status quo with his people. Think about it. Among other things, Jesus took the the burdensome, the onerous Jewish law. We've talked about that quite a bit over the years, the 613 Jewish laws. He took all of that, that had challenged God's people for generations, and he changed the law's purpose by fulfilling that law once and for all. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And as the writer of Hebrews recorded, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ one time for all, once for all. That's why we don't celebrate the Jewish holidays as followers of Jesus, because Jesus took care of all of that for us on the cross. Jesus also took care of the hypocritical religious leaders of the day, and he changed the religious power structure. And he did that by removing their authority and distributing it to all the other believers. Again, we go back to Matthew 5. Jesus said to the believers, you, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father 
in heaven. Then Peter would come along later and he would put it this way. You are a holy priesthood. He's talking to all of us. He's talking to the believers. We call that the priesthood of believers. You are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, it wasn't long before the people who started to follow Jesus realized that it was no longer business as usual. And through these and other changes, Jesus confounded that notion of business as, usual, as usual, uh, business as usual for God's chosen people. And he did it by entering time and space. This is what we just talked about over Christmas. He entered time and space as a baby without status or without power, without influence, without resources, without connections, without rituals, without ri- infrastructure. Jesus came in. He started everything afresh. He changed everything. He came as a baby who would, notwithstanding all of the weakness that he came with, He would grow into a man that taught and modeled the love and compassion and forgiveness and grace and peace of the Father. And then he said to his followers and to his people, do that. Do likewise. Do the same thing. While other religions taught about a God that must be placated, even though its followers could never know if they actually completed the task, if they actually succeeded in placating that God, Jesus is the God who first pursued his people, who can then know for certain that they've reached him when they admit that they're sinners, totally incapable of of living the perfect life that would be necessary to make them acceptable to God. And then they believe that Jesus, the Christ, that he lived the perfect life that they can't live. And then he died for them on a cross and he was placed into a tomb and he was, he, was, he was locked away, but because he had paid the sin that his people committed, he, he was unable to stay dead. Death couldn't hold him, and he rose from the dead, and he appeared to hundreds of witnesses, and he ascended to heaven and promised one day to return to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. And when you commit your lives to God through Jesus, then you can enjoy that gift of eternal life. And Jesus doesn't ask for anything in return from his followers. You need to understand that. A lot of times we're taught that, okay, now you've been saved by grace through faith. Now you better behave yourself or else. It doesn't work that way. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus only asked for his people to accept his love and then to love others likewise. You see, the world had never seen anything like the way of Jesus before. And to this day, the world has never seen anything like it since. And that's the movement we belong to. That's the movement we know of as Christianity. So now I want to spend a little bit of time refocusing our thought process so that we can fully understand the way in which Jesus would have us live a life for him and the way Jesus wants to use us to share the truth about him while reflecting his love for us through our love For others, that's what he called us to do. But the question is, are we doing it? Is this happening among us? Do we live like this? Or have we forgotten the call? Have we forgotten what God has called us to do? Have we forgotten that God has called us to be witnesses, telling people what we've seen about Jesus, to be light in a dark place, to lead people to God's love through our love of other people? Have we forgotten Have we forgotten the fight? Have we become civilized? I'm about to play a great scene from one of my favorite movies about what happens when you become too civilized to fight. Check out this. Do we become civilized? Do we forget the fight that we've been called to fight? The good fight? 
in the world that needs Jesus? Well, this year, we want to work together with you guys so that we can not only intellectually understand our faith, but also so that we can experience our faith, so we can experientially internalize our faith, so we can live out our faith and make our faith not just second nature, but rather make our faith our new nature. But that's going to take practice. Have you heard the expression, practice makes perfect? Heard that before? It's not true. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Proper practice makes perfect. Which makes it important for us not just to practice our faith, but to properly practice our faith. So today, we're going to start off by focusing on strengthening our connections with Jesus so that we can begin 2022 on the right foot. Okay? All right. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Father God, we thank you for gathering us together here this morning, this new year in 2022. We thank you for bringing us through uh, another unsettled year of 2021. We thank you for getting us to this moment healthy. We thank you for helping us to overcome the challenges that we faced. We thank you for giving us this blank canvas in front of us, this new year with which we can live our lives and represent you. So God, as we continue on this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your word and help us to understand what it means to draw closer to you. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're familiar with the expression touchstone? You know what a touchstone is? A touchstone is a type of black stone used to test the purity of gold or silver by a streak that's left on it when you rub the gold or silver across the touchstone. It's become synonymous for a standard or a criterion by which something is judged or recognized. So with that definition in mind, the touchstone of a faith in Jesus is always the realization, or perhaps for you, if you've already realized it once but forgot, the re-realization of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, in order to guide us, Jesus made a simple statement about the truth of the Christian faith. Here's what he said in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is there anything unclear about that? Who comes to the Father except through Jesus? No one, right? Eternal life depends exclusively on a faith relationship with Jesus. And indeed, that's exactly why Jesus came to earth. In John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That means that there is nothing more for humanity, nothing more meaningful for humanity than a faith in Jesus. Nothing. Now, I love the way you guys know, I love C.S. Lewis. I, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, I encourage you to read everything he's written. The guy was just amazing. But I've always liked the way he put it. Here's what he said. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. That is a very binary choice. Either you're in or you're out. Either you get it or you don't. So when a person comes to believe in Jesus, everything changes. Everything becomes new. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in his second letter to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old one is gone. The new one is here. So when we believe in Jesus, not just about Jesus, by the way, believing in Jesus is something different. Believing about Jesus, a lot of people believe about Jesus. The devil himself believed about Jesus. He believed that Jesus existed. Jesus is listed as a prophet in the Quran. They believe about Jesus. But when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, when we believe that his death and his resurrection and his promised return saved us from our sin and saved us to eternal life connected to the God of the universe, when we believe that, we get a brand new life, brand new life. We become new creations. God literally recreates all people who have put their faith in Jesus and had their sins forgiven and have been reborn or born again as children of God. No matter what our lives looked like before, through Jesus, we have been given a brand new start. And as for the old self, it's gone. It's dead. The new eternally alive for God person has taken its place. Don't miss this. When you place your faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that you've simply become a better version of your old self. It means that you've become someone entirely different, someone brand new. And as a new, different person, a new person of faith that's replaced the old person of doubt, then you can begin to live differently. Jesus said in John 1, Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you can become a person who thinks differently. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you can become a person who acts differently. You can become a person whose life reflects the presence of God's indwelling Holy Spirit who exudes from you evidence of love and joy and peace and patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can become a person whose life is identified by love. As Jesus said in John 13, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the love that's going to tell other people that we're Jesus's disciples, not the cross around our neck, not the fish on our car, the love that we have for each other. So here's the question. Since you gave your life to Jesus, does that describe you? If it doesn't, Why doesn't it? Maybe you've forgotten about your faith. Maybe you're just not feeling it. Maybe God just feels too far away to bother with. Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, and a few other people said it this way. If you feel far from God right now, guess who moved? (laughs) He didn't move. You did. But you're only a decision away. From reconnecting. God hasn't moved away. You've moved away. But the good news is you can go right back. You can always move right back toward him. Would you like that kind of faith in your life today? Would you like that kind of faith in your life this year? The kind of life of faith in which you and every person around you recognizes that Jesus is being reflected in you? See, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're feeling that way, There's more good news. That's the Holy Spirit calling you back. In Christianese, which is the language you have to learn when you become a Christian. In Christianese, we call that conviction. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay? But that's what you're feeling. And if you're feeling that, you're almost there. 
Because that kind of life of faith is right there. It's right there for the taking. It's always been there. And it's always been free. As Jesus told the church in Laodicea, just open the door. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How? How does that work? By learning to get close and stay close to Jesus. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If we get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus, if we remain in him, then our efforts will produce good fruit. When I was um, lawyering full-time, which is now a long time ago, one of my law partners and I were talking about a hearing that was scheduled for, for later on in the week. Well, opposing counsel, and this is common, opposing counsel just called me up and said, hey, listen, I, I've had a family emergency. Uh, could we reschedule the hearing that's set for later this week? Could we reschedule it for next week? Of course, I said, yeah, of course we can. Family emergency, that's important. But my law partner was not happy with me. He was not pleased with me being so accommodating. Actually, that's an understatement. He was really angry with me for granting the extension. And in his angry voice, he said to me, listen, you got to stop being so nice to opposing lawyers. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm called to be kind, granting him an extension in this situation for a family emergency. That was the kind thing to do. I had no choice. My partner said, look, you can be kind all you want in church, but this is the real world. If you're kind in the real world, people will walk all over you. And I told him, I follow Jesus in the real world too, not just on Sundays. Years later, when I announced that I'd be leaving the practice to come into full-time ministry, he understood that I was serious about that commitment. We don't check our Jesus at the door when we leave church on Sunday morning. Incidentally, after my kindness opposing counsel, I developed a great working relationship. I am positive that my client's interests were served much better because I treated opposing counsel with the proper kindness. But here's the point. Whoever remains in Jesus, whoever lives their life with Jesus as their Lord and their leader, moment to moment, day in, day out, even in the real world and not only in church, whoever does that will live a life that's worth living, will live a life that counts and will live a life through which the evidence of God will always be obvious. Conversely, a life lived outside of the love of Jesus will have no such effectiveness. A life lived outside of Jesus will have no such impact. Jesus continues in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not apart from me, you can do some things or most things or almost all things. No, no things, nothing. God has created us. To live for Jesus. God has created us for so much more. In this world of uncertainty and conflict and pain and disappointment and division and struggle, God wants us to have a rich and full and satisfying life. As Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them, us, the disciples, God's people, a rich and satisfying life. Life. Now, if you've been wondering whether you've been living the very best life that God has created for you, or even why you're sure that you aren't, well, maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe it's time to make a change for this coming year. Now, I have to tell you, 
there is no better life in the world than a life lived as a follower of Jesus. And if you've already given your life to him, but you haven't really changed the way you're living, now's a good time to do it. New Year's are a nice, bright line time to start doing things differently. Or as I've heard it said, and by the way, I have no idea who said this originally, but you'll recognize it. If you want to make some changes in your life, then you're going to have to make some changes in your life. There's a quote attributed to Einstein that says the definition of insanity is to keep on doing the same thing over and over again, expect different results. It's not clear that Einstein actually said that, but it is true, right? Well, here are six suggestions that I have for us to start with this new year. So here are some, just some easy, basic suggestions just to get back on track with God this year. All right, so the first one is this, pray. And I'm going to tell you, pray two times every day to start. Two times. If you want to strengthen your relationship with God, pray two times a day. Here's what I mean. If you want to strengthen your relationship with a person, what would you do? You talk to them, right? That's what we do. When you want to get to know somebody better, you talk to them more. You spend more time with them. So you want to get to know God better? Start talking to them more. Start spending more time with them. Start talking to God. Or as the folks at Nike like to say, just do it. All prayer is, is talking to God. You can start by simply talking to God when you wake up in the morning. How hard is that? Right? Hey, God, thanks for waking me up. Really appreciate it. Fist bump, right? Here I am. That's it. That's a good prayer. When you go to bed at night, thank God for the day. Thanks for giving me this long day. Thanks for the challenges. Thanks for the things that I learned. Thanks for the bed I get to sleep in. I can't wait to lie down. When I was younger, I used to love lying down in bed. Now I'm older and I don't sleep as well. That's okay. It doesn't have to be complicated, though. It just has to be consistent. Consistency is the key. Thank God when you wake up. Thank God for the day that lies ahead. Do the same thing at night, just in reverse. Thank him for the day he gave you. Thank, thank him for the restful sleep. Do that. Do that for a week and then do it again. Okay? Lather, rinse, repeat. Just do it again. That's easy, right? That's one. Number two, read your Bible every day. Now, this kind of follows the same logic as our first item. I said you need to communicate. You talk by talking. Well, God talks by his word. All right, if you're hearing an audible voice of God telling you to do weird things in your head, come talk to me. That's not God, okay? He talks through his word, the Bible. So you need to get into the habit of, and I'm going to say reading the Bible every day, but you actually don't have to read it technically. When I say read it, I, I mean absorb it. If you're a reader, then read it. If you like to read, then reading is your best way to absorb it. But if you don't like to read or you can't find the time to read or you're too ADD or ADHD to read, which I think I might have a problem with, you can do other things if you don't want to do that. You can listen to it. You can listen to the Bible. There's this website, BibleGateway.com. On BibleGateway.com, first off, you'll see every translation of the Bible. It's a free website. And it has a feature little speaker, allows you to listen to the Bible read by the great voice actor, Max McLean. He reads the Bible from beginning to end. He's got this great voice. It's really good. Check it out. Free. If you want, there are a bunch of other recordings of, of famous people reading the Bible. James Earl Jones does a version of the, of the NIV Bible that's phenomenal. He's got the best voice anyway. That's really what God sounds like, either him or Morgan Freeman. That's what God sounds like anyway. Anyway. Now, I, I 
mix it up. And sometimes I'll play the recordings if I'm driving or if I'm in the gym. It doesn't matter how you absorb God's word. I want you to understand that. I'm not telling you to do something you've never done in your life. Work it into the way you process information. Just do it. If you don't know where to begin reading, well, you can go online. This is, the, this is crazy. www.mcshane.info forward slash calendar. .pdf, take a picture of that, and you can read the Bible in a year. It'll give you the portions. It breaks down the portions for you. Start with a few minutes a day. Adjust it to suit your lifestyle. Consistency is the key. If you miss a day, pick it up the next day. Don't let them back up on you and try to catch up. Don't do that. Consistency is the key, not duration. If you try to read too much in one sitting, you're going to fail. You'll quit before you get too far. So that's number two. Read your Bible. Number three. Get a devotional and use it. See, I used to say just get a devotional, but a lot of people just get a devotional and you put it on your shelf. No, don't do that. Get a devotional and use it. So what I realized when I started to think about this is I thought, well, okay, a lot of people aren't going to know what that means. Devotional is a very christian word, so I'm going to tell you. A devotional is a Christian-themed book. By the way, why did I say it that way? Because I would typically say it's a Christian book, but books aren't Christians, so... It's Christian-themed. It's a Christian-themed book that provides a specific spiritual reading for each calendar day. It's broken up by calendar days. Gives you a spiritual guidance for that day. You can't go wrong if you're looking for a devotional with the classic, My Utmost for His Highest, written by Oswald Chambers in 1924. Still phenomenal, okay? Or my go-to devotional, I've talked about this before. It's called Reflections for Ragamuffins, written in 1998 by a, he's passed away, Brennan Manning. He was actually a defrocked Catholic priest. Very interesting story. His, His devotional is my favorite of all times. But if these don't work for you, go on Google, search the word devotionals. You will get over 80 million results. Okay, so there's no shortage of devotionals out there. Get yourself a devotional and start looking at it. Ready? Number four. Make church a priority. Now, this is the definition of preaching to the choir, right? Because other than the fact that you're not a choir, you're all here. So I'm telling you to come to church and you're all at church. But listen, the isolation that we just experienced as a result of COVID has not been good for us, period. There is not any voice out there, right or left, Political, not political. Nobody thinks that this isolation has been good for us. It's been horrible for us. Being an active part of a church community is a powerful antidote to the crippling isolation that is burning through our world right now. Not only do that, watch this. Ready? Everybody take your fingers and make a circle. Do it. Do it. Take this circle. Take this circle. Watch me. Take this circle. Put it on your cheek. Okay. Virtually every one of you has put it on your chin. Some of you listened. Why did you put it on your chin and not on your cheek? I told you to put it on your cheek. Because I did it, right? You watched me. You didn't listen to me. That's what happens. By the way, that's a parenting tip if you still have young kids at home. You can tell them stuff all you want. If you ain't doing it, they're not going to get it. No, they need to see that you care about church. They need to see that church is important to you, that you come to church. They need to watch. Simply telling them that you want them to love God and to love his church, that is not going to cut it. Do it. Make church a priority. It's just that simple. And following the same logic, please join a small group. 
become a, smart, a part of a small group. Andy Stanley, who is the lead pastor and founder of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, that's our main church partner, he says it like this, life happens in circles, not in rows. You guys are in rows here. Small group, we get to sit together. We get to look at each other in the eyes. We get to talk about our lives. We get to experience what we're going through together. We get to help each other out. I've been part of a small group for more than 20 years. My spiritual growth, as well as my enjoyment of life, have reached heights that I simply never could have imagined without small groups. I've been talking about small groups for a long, long time. I've been talking about how fantastic they are for everybody, how necessary they are for everybody. Listen, please believe what I'm saying. Join a small group. How? How do you do that? It's really weird because people always say, I want to join a small group. And I say, great. Do you know anybody else who wants to join? No, do it for me. Oh, do you know what you want to study? No, make me study something. Nobody really wants to do that. They just say it. You know how you join a small group? Look around. Say, hey, would you be in a small group with me? Cool. Hey, Russell, we got four people who want to be in a small group. What do we do? That's how you join a small group. If you reach out to four to eight people that you'd like to be in a group with or you'd like to get to know better, send me their names. Send me your name and their names, and I will connect you to resources that will help you start your small group. You don't need to be a biblical scholar. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to be a lifelong believer. None of that. The materials that we have now are amazing. They'll get anybody into small groups. We will show you how to get started. I promise you'll thank me for it. Number six. You knew I was going to say this. Give. I want to encourage everybody to become a giver. Now, you've heard the expression, put your money where your mouth is. Well, Jesus says something similar when it comes to giving. Here's what he says in Matthew 6, still in the Sermon on the Mount. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if, if, if your treasure is in the church... That's where your money will end up. Not all of it, guys. I'm not asking for all. God doesn't need all your money. But what it's saying is this. Put your money where your mouth is. You believe it? Well, show God. Show me. Show yourself. This is not for me. I'm going to be just fine. God is absolutely going to be just fine. This is for God's people. Being a part of a loving church community just hits you differently when you're invested in it. When you've invested your time and your talents and your treasure in it. How do you do that? Very easy. Again, hammockstreetchurch.com. Go to the giving site. Set yourself up for periodic giving. Done. If you feel like you're not ready for the full tithe, remember tithe means 10%, pick a percentage that you're comfortable with. Try it for six months. You won't regret it. I promise. So here we are at 2022. Here we are in another new year. And God has called us all here to Hammock Street Church. And through us, he has built an ecclesia, a community to love and support each other. And he's placed us in this area in South Florida, in Boca Raton, an area that desperately needs to see Jesus. We need more Jesus in this area. He's placed us in a place that needs to know Jesus. He's placed us in a place where more people need to be saved by Jesus. And he's placed us in a place where people need to see evidence of Jesus every single day. And God has arranged it so that we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of his work in other people's lives and in our lives as well. So what do you say? Let's not wait another day. Let's all jump in. Let's all jump 
all the way in. And together, let's watch how God moves among us this coming year. Amen? Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this brand new year and this enthusiasm that we have to go forward to love you more, to know you better, and to serve you just by being your witnesses, just by loving others the way you love us. God, as we head out from here today, I just ask that you would keep us focused on you, help us not to become civilized, but to stay in the fight, to understand the urgency of what's going on, to understand the solution that we have through you and allow us to share that with the world in love. God, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.